Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. I'm Dave King. I'm the executive pastor here. Glad you're with us. Van Cochran, our senior pastor, was scheduled to speak today, but he came down with a cold and his voice is just really raspy and he can barely talk. So he asked if I would fill in for him this weekend. Now, I have a theory that Van was in Pennsylvania last week for his high school reunion. I think he really went to the Pittsburgh Steelers training camp and was over there cheering for them so loudly it affected his voice. And right now he's not here because I think he's realizing what the season's going to be like for the Steelers and decided <laughs> just better stay home and uh, take care of myself. So you have me this weekend. I'm glad to be with you. I ran across a website called SucceedSocially.com, and it's a free guide to getting past social awkwardness. It was founded in 2006 by a man named Chris McLeod, who considered himself to be socially awkward. And within this uh, website, there are articles that will pose problems and then offer solutions on how to get past social awkwardness. And he says socially awkward people tend to have difficulties or are intimidated by certain other types of people. And the other types of people that were identified in the article were super outgoing people. That socially awkward people have difficulty being around people that are just extremely outgoing and can hold any conversation and keep going. And what's so intimidating for socially awkward people around super outgoing people is that in the conversation, are they going to be able to keep up? Are they going to know what to say? Socially awkward people tend to be nervous around very popular people. They may feel easy or off balance with people that appear to have everything going for them. People in authority. A lot of people are intimidated by police officers, doctors, lawyers, even pastors, teachers or professors. We can even be intimidated by our friends or partners' parents. People who are really knowledgeable and competent are scary for socially awkward people because smart, competent individuals, we believe that if we're in a conversation with them and we say, oh, this sounded really stupid, we're afraid that that person who's really smart and competent is going to say, that was really stupid. It's a fear that we have. And when we hang on to that fear, that feeling, that belief, we feel paralyzed. When we face situations where we feel powerless, where we have no influence, no final say, that there's nothing good that we can offer, we get, get trapped in that paralysis. And when we feel and believe we have no power, we become friends with deception. We become friends with deception. And in that friendship with deception we do make the choices that spiritually and emotionally will cause us to freeze. Elijah the prophet, the spokesman of God, encountered situations spiritually, emotionally, and politically that were influenced by various powers. He faced scared neighbors. He confronted a very successful king named Ahab. He was challenging Ahab's wife named Jezebel, who was a very demonically driven, bloodthirsty queen. 
So Elijah is stepping into a situation that he was facing various powers that challenged him, confronted him, but he chose to follow the power of God. Today we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a book in the Old Testament. And if it's okay with you, I want to tell you the story and just read bits and pieces of the story. Is that okay if we do that, that approach today? Before we do that, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, just breathe on our time together. Just open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Just teach us, encourage us, show us ourselves. Amen. Before I jump into the story, I think it's important to answer the question, what is power? Richard Foster, in his book, The Challenge of a Disciplined Life, says that nothing touches us more profoundly for good or for ill than power. Power can destroy and create. It demands total control. The dictionary defines power as a capacity for action, physical, moral, mental action. It's the possession of control or authority or influence over others. There's nothing against that definition, but I, for talking purposes, want to add to that. So I'm going to take pieces of that definition and expand it. I define power as the influence in our lives, which can strengthen or drain us physically, emotionally, or spiritually. The influence in our lives, which can strengthen or drain us physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And that influence can dominate, control, can capture us and trap us. But that definition goes beyond when we're thinking in reference of God. See, with God, he is the personal one who has authority to free us. Who can overwhelm us but not control us. Who can actually give us the influence, the energy we need to act on his behalf. That's God's power. And at some point in his life, Elijah said yes to this personal, relational-oriented strong, tenacious God who the nation of Israel worshipped. And when he said yes to God, he became a new person inside. He became confident, spiritually new, not afraid to take risks because he knew the stories that when God showed up and God's people showed up, God was always there back in his people. Elijah knew that and he experienced that. You see, this was a change for Elijah because he came from a very socially awkward community, at least as it was viewed. Elijah was from Tishbe in Gilead, a Tishbite. The Tishbites were rugged mountain people that lived far in the mountains and run-down villages. And when the nation of Israel thought of a Tishbite, they were very embarrassed. They thought these socially awkward people had nothing to contribute. God, however, was not embarrassed by Elijah. Nor did Elijah's background prevent him from doing God's work. He experienced a new strength, a new identity. 
And that new identity is described by the writer Ezekiel and later by the writer Paul. Is that when God relates to a person, when God captures that person's heart, is that that person is made new. In fact, Ezekiel, echoing God's word, said, I will give you a new heart and a new mind. I will take away your stubborn heart of stone and give you an obedient heart. Paul echoed that same transformation when he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. These are familiar verses for many of us that have been here over the summer because we've referred to them over and over about the good news that God does to transform us. God worked that same transformation in Elijah. Elijah was a rough mountain man, but that was a small part of his story. The real story began as he lived out his true identity as a follower of God. Being the spokesperson for God, confronting the various powers, capturing and paralyzing the nation of Israel. And one of the, the powers that Israel was wrestling with was the power of fear. So let's jump into the story from 1 Kings 18. Life in Israel is really, really bad at this point because for three years there's not been a thunderstorm, a downpour, a sprinkle, a trickle, a spritz, a night of dew, or anything. And King Ahab is getting pretty nervous because Ahab has a stable full of horses, in fact, 2,000 horses, to pull 2,000 chariots into battle. If he doesn't find food and water soon for his horses, they will have to be killed. King Ahab asked his assistant, Obadiah, Obadiah, we really need to find water. Do you know where there's any water sources or food sources? Just a little grass where we can feed the horses. Obadiah, you go this direction and I'll go this direction. And you know things are so bad, really bad, when the king himself will go to find water and food for his his animals. Obadiah, who is a follower of God, decides to go on this journey. But that decision is one of courage in itself because since Obadiah is a follower of God, he is in great danger from Jezebel. Ahab's wife, because she's killing God followers right and left. But he begins his journey, and as he's traveling, he runs into this long-haired, rugged mountain man named Elijah. Is that really you, Elijah? I can't believe you've actually shown up. Don't you realize there are wanted posters and news reports all over Israel about you? I mean, King Ahab's really hunting for you. What are you doing here? Yep, it's me, Elijah says. Tell Ahab I want to see him. God wants to end this drought. Nobody looks at him and says, man, you've been in the sun way too long, Elijah, because there's no way I'm going to go talk to Ahab about you. I mean, he's in a bad mood today, and if I go in and tell him, hey, Elijah's here to see you, He's going to get mad, and besides that, I'll say, hey, Elijah's here with me to see you, but then God will take you away somewhere else, and it'll just be me and Ahab, and Ahab will say, off with your head, and you won't be there, and off with my head. And So no, I'm not doing that. Elijah says, hey, calm down. I'll be there. I'll show up. See, what's going on for Obadiah? 
I mean, here's a guy who is a very brave guy. But suddenly he's smothered by fear. I mean, he's standing face to face with the man who prayed that this drought would happen. And he's standing face to face with the man who will pray that the drought will end. And you would think he would be saying, yeah, let's go. Let's go see. It's over, Ahab. But he didn't do that. You see, Obadiah is a good employee. He's worked well in his job with Ahab. He's such a good employee that Ahab has protected him from his wife Jezebel. But Obadiah has spent many sleepless nights wondering, is that the hitman coming outside his door? He's a man who has worked hard at his job, who has stayed the course, even when his beliefs and values have been opposed. He's seen corruption and crime. You name it, Obadiah has seen it. On top of that, Obadiah had actually secretly hidden 100 prophets of God in two caves outside the city. Jezebel didn't know about it. No one knew about it. And so he would take food and water out of the city to give to these guys. Can you imagine the stress of sneaking food to 100 people daily? So with all this pressure, along comes Elijah and says, hey, we're going to go see Ahab. And now with that request, it's like the final finger of fear just goes around Obadiah's neck. Don't raise your hands, but I'd like for you to think for a moment. How many of us have lived under long periods of fear? A period in your life where you've been constantly on edge. You know, there's something about living with a weight of fear for a long time that physically just weighs us down. That emotionally, there's like this scar that develops that we begin to live every aspect of our life afraid. If you attend here regularly, you've heard me speak about my past growing up in the mountains. And one of the biggest... Obstacles. I mean, there were so many great things about my growing up years. There were great stories, great values, hardworking people. But one of the things I've struggled with is this constant state of fear. When I was a child, the mystery of Bigfoot was afoot. I can't believe I just did that. Forgive me. Anybody remember the Bigfoot character or creature, the mysterious ape-like, man-like creature that would come out of the woods and encounter people and, <clears throat> and go back into the woods. It was also known as Sasquatch, which I thought was even scarier, Sasquatch. Well, my family went to the drive-in, and middle schoolers, this is ancient history. Drive-ins are something that your parents and grandparents can tell you about, but we went to watch movies at the drive-in. They're going like, what? What is that guy talking about? We went to the drive-in late at night to watch a movie about Bigfoot. Late at night. And I'm a child. We go home and we live in the country and there's, the way our house was set up is that there's a certain amount of light to like about this stage and then there's just total darkness. Now keep in mind, I've just watched a movie about Bigfoot who, by the way, this guy is in the restroom just living life and Bigfoot smashes his fist through the window and runs into the woods. My bedroom is by a big window. 
I was afraid of Bigfoot smashing his hands through the window or anyone else that was nearby to smash their hands through the window. And that's only one story. There are stories that I could tell you, but what I have found out that the power of fear in my life is progressively being broken by the power of God. That there's times in my life that I've experienced this sudden healing and confidence, and then there's other times I just walk that out in his power day after day after day. But there's freedom. Elijah also encounters the powers of evil and deception. The powers of evil and deception. So Obadiah gathers courage and goes to Ahab and Elijah shows up. And Ahab sees Elijah and says, oh, you troublemaker, you're the biggest troublemaker in the nation of Israel. You see, what Ahab is thinking is that's because of Elijah that the God, the idol, Baal, is not answering their prayers. You're the reason that Baal is not responding. And Elijah says, I'm not the troublemaker here. It's you and your family because you've stopped following God and you've started worshiping Baal. Baal worship was really a worship of an idol. It was a a supreme, thought to be supreme deity that was idolized as the God of the underworld. And Asherah was the female counterpart of Baal. And these idols were believed to be the gods of fertility, that if you wanted many children, you would worship Baal. If you wanted great crops, great food, great property, you would worship Baal. And the worship of Baal was demonically driven. The worship included male and female prostitution and child sacrifice. And Elijah is confronting this this religion at that point in time, a religion of deception. And he says, it's time to settle this thing. So Ahab, I want you to get all the house of representatives. I want you to get the 850 priests and prophets of Baal and Asherah and meet me on Mount Carmel, which is that ridge up in that mountain that we all like. God versus Baal, bring it on. The representatives, the house of representatives, Ahab, but only 450 of the priests show up. And Elijah says to the gathered crowd, how much longer will it take you to make up your minds? If the Lord is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. And he goes on to say, people, you have a choice of who you're to follow. You have a choice of what and who will influence you. But the people didn't say anything. I'd like to read from chapter 18 in 1 Kings. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. So apparently Elijah did not know that Obadiah had hidden the 100 prophets. So he thinks he's alone personally. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people say, well, that's a really good idea. 
So Elijah begins his work preparing the bull. And the priests and the prophets of Baal began their preparation for the bull. And for three hours, they sang, they shouted, they danced around. The dance went in a circular motion. And for people that are on podcasts, Dave is dancing right now. And my daughter's here and I'm embarrassing her. So, (laughs) and they would dance around and then it got really crazy because then they would do this and their hair would swing to the ground all in a circular motion. And they would begin to shout more. And the people that were standing in the middle became excited and they began to shout and dance. And Elijah stands over at the side with his long beard stroking it. Now remember, Elijah is a rugged and somewhat crude mountain man. But I want us to get this point, that even in the middle of that crudeness, that wasn't his true identity. He was not defined by that old identity. Yet he still was getting rid of some of those side effects of his old identity. Did you hear that? He is not defined by that old identity. Although he's still dealing with the side effects of that old identity. And one of the side effects is some of the rude comments of making fun of the priests. And we don't see it in all of our English translations of the Bible, although some of them do reflect it. But here's just the roughness of Elijah. Shout louder, isn't Baal a god? Maybe he's off thinking or daydreaming or he's probably in the bathroom or maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's sleeping and you just need to wake him up. And Elijah starts doing this and the priests of Baal just, it infuriates them. So they shout louder and they dance harder and then they begin to cut themselves until they bleed. They believe that their blood, their performance, their efforts would cause this God of theirs to respond. But the chapter says, nothing happened. There was no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. You see, Ahab and the people were really serious about Baal worship. They were blinded by deception. They were believing in an idol that had no power. Yet the beliefs that held them tightly were orchestrated by demons. Quoting Richard Foster again, demonic spiritual powers have a pronounced impact upon the world in which we live. They stand behind, influence, and energize evil individuals and institutions. Now, it's easy to agree with Foster when we're thinking in terms of Hitler or Stalin or Idi Amin and others past or present who have perpetrated genocide. But how does Foster's words apply to the deception in our belief system? The things we believe about ourselves and the actions we take as a result of those beliefs. Beliefs that fuel self-doubt. Lacking the courage to try new things, to take risks for God. 
the self-doubt of entering a good and healthy relationship because we're so afraid that we will blow it or that we can't trust the other person. We're self-medicating. I need relief from life's pressures. I need to just numb out a while just so I can get away. We will use food, alcohol, drugs, sex, computer games, social media, exercise. Not all those things are bad in themselves, but the problem is is that they can become idols to us. Because if we begin to invest our time and energy and money to somehow have our, our lives appeased and comforted by this object, we soon become trapped. Or self-injury. It's different from self-medicating. Self-injury is an attempt to battle the numbness that's inside. By cutting or burning or hair pulling... The belief is that maybe in that moment of time that I can feel something again, that there will be a sensation that will be real, that I can grab onto something real in that moment. Or self-satisfaction. I'm content with my life. I have what I need. You know, this whole Jesus stuff is nice for all those bad people, but I'm a good person. I take care of things. I help people. I'm sure God and I are on good terms. The power of evil and deception is defeated by the power of God in all of our lives. The power of evil and deception is defeated by the power of God in all of our lives. The power of God. As Elijah watches for six hours, the Baal worshipers are dancing and shouting asking for help from Baal. And Elijah says, that's enough. Everybody come here. And he has some helpers that he tells, go and fill 12 jars full of water. Apparently Mount Carmel had lots of running water. And 12 times these helpers dumped water on the altar for where the sacrifice was going to take place. But before he began that instruction, he, he repaired an altar that was used for worship of the one true God of Israel. And the reason that he prepared, repaired that altar was to focus the people on the one true God, that there was a refocus that the God who responds is about to show up. And then he prayed. With the water drenching into this trench that had been built around the altar, Elijah says, answer me, God. Let the people know the truth of who you are. Let them know that you're the only one that can free them, that you're the one that can turn their hearts from this hardness to softness toward you. And as he continued to pray, this is what happens. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! And then God responds in a mysterious way 
in that crowd that in our minds as 21st century readers, it just makes no sense. But in the middle of all this activity, Elijah goes to Ahab and says, see ya, because I've got to go pray for rain now. So Elijah takes off and goes back up the mountain. Apparently he had stepped off the mountain a little bit and he goes back up into the mountain. And for seven times he prays, God send rain. And as you read the account in there, the other assistants that are there that are helping Elijah, he starts to pray and he'll say, go check and see if it's raining. Is it raining yet? No, no, not yet. Sprinkles yet? No, not yet. Thunderstorm yet? No. Raining yet? And on the seventh time when he sends his assistant to look, he says, I've seen a cloud. There's a cloud rising above the sea that's about the size of a man's hand. Elijah says, good. Go tell Ahab, better eat something, hook up his chariot and head to town because rain's coming. And then one of the most humorous incidents of the power of God empowering someone takes place at the end of chapter 18. Let me read it to you. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, the distance from Mount Carmel to Jezreel is 18 to 20 miles. I mean, Elijah took off running. He is the ultimate marathon guy. He's faster than a leopard. I mean, think about it. Ahab's had a really bad day at work. I mean, he's humiliated in front of the House of Representatives. He's driving home in the rain on his chariot, mumbling, Elijah, wish you'd stayed in the mountains. Can't stand that, Elijah. So he's driving along in his chariot, and suddenly this guy looks at him, Hey, Ahab! Zoom! And they meet up in Jezreel. It's a great story. Because in some ways, we're like Elijah. Like Elijah in the sense that we all experience various powers as we live life. And the effects of those powers can either strengthen us or deplete us of our energy. Those powers can also deplete us of our trust. I'd like for you to think for a moment, what are some of those influences that you and I have to struggle with that grip us at times in fear? If you would, just close your eyes for a moment. And I'm going to read some statements. And you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to respond. But I'd like for you to consider something for a moment. So I'm going to read these statements and see if they hit you. How am I going to make this month's house payment or car payment or pay the utility bills? The power of worry. There's no way I will do well on exams this year. I am a horrible test taker. The power of self-doubt. I really need a drink or a hit right now. Or I could really use some pizza and fries and brownies and ice cream. 
because I'm really stressed. It's been one of those weeks. The power of self-medicating. I've been struggling with my thoughts lately. There's this woman at work I can't get out of my mind. And almost every time I see her, I struggle with impure thoughts. The power of lust. Sometimes I close my eyes and the memories of that incident just jump. They just jump out on me. How will I ever get over what happened to me? The power of past wounding. You can open your eyes. The bottom line good news is the power of God is available to overcome and conquer the powers which seek to destroy us or to dominate us. The power of God is available to overcome and conquer the powers which seek to damage or destroy us. And the power of God is here to heal and to restore us at the deepest parts of who we are. And while the power of God may not strike the situations with fire immediately as we so often want and expect, although God may not do it in that way, God will respond because he is the God who responds. God may not give us the power to supernaturally run away from the problems and and go miles and miles away trying to push them in the past, but he will empower us with courage to turn forward and run into those situations and confront them and be there every step of the way with us. You see, he responds because he is the God who responds. I'd like for the worship band to come up at this point. If you're new with us, we're going to take the next 20 minutes or so and worship. I mentioned earlier that Elijah prepared an altar. His way of focusing the people on the true God that could heal, the God who responds, the God who could smash the powers that dominate our lives. And as we worship during this next 20 minutes, It's our way just to focus on God and respond and say, God, here I am. Free me by your power. I invite you to stand if you're able. And one of the things, too, if you're new with us, uh, you you may see some people that will come up here to the front to worship. And I invite you, whatever age you are, if you would like to come up during worship and stand here and worship, that's fine. The reason we do that is, again, just a, a focused way of giving our hearts to God, uh, being able to, to center our attention more on God. Let me pray for us, and then we'll worship. God, just, we want to respond to you. Just speak to us now. Amen. You say to